Good morning, supers. Welcome to the Entrepreneurs for November 9th, 2021. I have so many stories to, to get into today. Uh, I But first, I want to say tomorrow, I have an interview coming out here on the uh, Super Joe Pardo show uh, with the one of the founders uh, of the Magic Five, who was recently on Shark Tank, uh, I think two episodes ago. Uh, so definitely want to go. Uh, co- make sure you come back and check that out when it come when it goes live. Uh, I think it goes live at like eleven a.m. or noon. I think it's noon uh, Eastern time. Anyway, let's get into the entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs, yeah. <laughs> Still battling through this cold, so bear with me here. Fed says China's real estate troubles could spill over to the U.S. Stresses in China's real estate sector could strain the Chinese financial system uh, with possible spillovers to the United States, the Federal Reserve said Monday in its financial stability report released twice a year. The nexus of the Fed's concern is that China's real estate activity is slowing, but the developers have large debts, and some of them, like Evergrande, which we've been talking about here for over a month now, uh, are diversified into other areas of the economy, said Paul Christopher, U.S.-based head of global market strategy at Wells Fargo Investment uh, Institute. The bulk of the report discussed domestic U.S. financial conditions and the anal- and analysts downplayed the significance of the Fed's comments on China real estate. Real estate. Now, I uh, am of the belief that, uh, yeah, it might not necessarily sink us all at once. Uh, if you know, if they completely go belly up, and and you know, companies like especially Evergrande, because they they control such a large portion of uh, the Chinese real estate market, but uh, I do think that it's going to it will absolutely spill over, and depending on how it is handled, it absolutely could start to uh, become a strain on other uh, areas of. Uh, the, the you know their economy affecting our economy and the rest of the world. Uh, we have a couple other articles here, real quick. Evergrande faces biggest payment test yet as grace period ends. Uh, China Evergrande Group is facing its biggest payment test since uh, since signs of liquidity crisis emerged uh, at the firm five months ago. Uh, investors are waiting to see <clears throat> to see the embattled. Excuse me. Embattled developer make coupon payments totaling one hundred and forty eight point one million dollars for three uh, for three dollar bonds before the end of the 30 day grace periods Wednesday. Uh, Evergrande missed the initial interest deadlines last month. Bloomberg compiled data show. uh, Yeah, compiled data show. Uh, The due date looms as credit market. Uh, stress spreads beyond China's junk-rated builders. High, uh, Higher-quality dollar bonds are suffering their worst sell-off in months as investors grow increasingly concerned about the impact on larger property firms and the broader economy. While there's no indication that Evergrande will miss the payment, any such development uh, could also trigger cross-default clauses among the builders' $19.2 billion of outstanding dollar notes and give creditors more room to negotiate. Evergrande, of course, did not uh, immediately respond to a comment. Uh, and then Evergrande, one last article here, Evergrande raises uh, $144 million as it sells down stake in Hang 10 Networks. Um, they, let's see, raised about uh, $144 million uh, by further selling down at stake of the internet company Hang 10 uh, network groups or networks group as it faces a uh, cascading series of interest payments on its offshore debt. Evergrande sold 530 million shares in a series of sales since November 4th, reducing its stake in the Hong Kong based Hang 10 from 26.55% to 20.82%. According to regulatory fi- filings in the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, the world's most indebted developer, Evergrande held a majority stake in Hang 10 as recently as January, but has significantly reduced its stake in a recent uh, recent months 
as part of a series of asset sales to try to manage its one point uh its three hundred and eight billion dollar uh in total liabilities. So yeah, no, it's uh it's good to see that they are taking this serious you know, continuing to take this seriously, selling things down. Uh, according again, according to these reports, I know some of the comments that I get, you know, talk about, oh, you know, we haven't seen, you know, that you can't believe anything that they're saying. Well, if you can't, the way I see it is like, if I can't believe anything, then why even report on it at all? That you know, I I'd love to know the reason because, um, if they're not in ba- like if there's no reason to imp- report on it, then there's no reason to say that they're in battle. They should just be like, hey, everything's cool, everything's fine, everything's going the way it's supposed to be going. Well. Great. If if that's the way it is, then there is no news to report on. Um, so I, you know, will continue to monitor this. Uh, but it is, in my eyes, good to see that at least somebody other than a guy on YouTube, uh, you know, regardless of all the experience that I have, uh, you know, has pointing been pointing out that like, hey, this could really be a big uh, problem for the rest of the world. And one final story I want to, uh, it's not Evergrande related uh, necessarily, but it is China related in the urea shortage threatens South Korea's transport uh, energy, uh, energy industry. So South Korea is flying a military oil tanker to Australia this week to airlift 27,000 liters of urea solution used in diesel vehicles and factories to cut emissions amid a dire uh, shortage threatening to stall commercial transport and industries. Approximately 2 million diesel vehicles, mostly cargo trucks, are required by government to use this additive. I'm going to talk more about this, but the reason I wanted to bring this up here is because uh, diesel vehicle drivers have started panic buying urea after uh, China's customs last month introduced a new export requirement, effectively halting exports in order to boost supplies to the domestic market. Nearly 97% of South Korea's urea imports came from China between January and September, trade ministry said. So I'm going to do a separate video about that. In fact, I'll, I'll link that up here uh, talking about this because I, I want to go deeper into it. But uh, it's kind of uh scary because when i looked up uh how much the u.s imports urea for diesel trucks uh the diesel uh dpf fluid or d def fluid uh diesel emission uh fluid they uh we we like uh, as of 2019 at least we had imported uh somewhere it's if the data i found off of i forget what the name of the site was but if the data i found it, it looks like we import about two like two thirds of the amount that we use uh, here in the country, so uh, not good. Uh, if China's, you know, I don't, I couldn't easily find where that was being imported from, uh, but apparently Russia is one of them. And like I said, I'll talk more about this uh, in that other video. That I'll link up up here. Macy's raises hourly wage to $15 and rolls out college tuition to try to win workers. Uh, so it said Monday that it'll be raising its minimum wage uh, to $15 per hour by next May. Uh, the department store chain is also adding an education program that will cover 100% per, uh, of tuition, books, and fees. This sounds good, but as I've pointed out in uh, – oh, no. I, uh, Macy's – let me just redo this here. Macy's raises wages uh, – Macy's – jeez, man. I am I, – uh, 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 all right. Let's try it again. Macy's raises wa- wa- uh, hourly wages to $15 and rolls out college tuition to try to win workers. This $15 raise is supposed to happen uh, by next May. The department store chain is also adding an education program that will cover 100% of tuition, books, and fees. Now, we've talked about that here on the Entrepreneurs before where it's an opportunity for you to uh, have a have a write-off for I think it's up to $5,300 or $5,400. Uh, for your company per employee to be able to write off uh, stuff for college, you know, tuition, books, and the like. So uh, I think that it's just them, you know, potentially taking control of it. Now, one thing that has me suspect, uh, uh, kind of 
suspect is, or a sus, as the kids say, is, you know, they're going to raise the minimum wage by next May. Well, May is, what, five, six months from now, seven, almost seven months from now. Um, Maybe they get it sooner, but it just seems to me that they're not necessarily taking, you know, this this almost seems like a marketing ploy, uh, and I, we've seen it with other companies, and uh, they also say like, oh, well, we, you know, starting up to $15 an hour. So we'll, we'll see how things, uh, you know, uh, transpond there. Um and and go going forward i don't necessarily you know i'm always skeptical so i'll try to try to follow up on this uh on on companies like macy's who you know and and starbucks and and all these other companies that are talking about you know raising their their minimum wages and and uh and and you know the i you know to me it's also like oh maybe just punting it down the road and maybe by may we won't have to raise raise wages because we'll have enough influx of other people to uh to be able to keep everything sustained um uh, was it mariam uh is that how you say your name mariam uh says are you sharing your screen i am sharing my screen you should be able to see it i can see it on my screen uh if not i'll stop and oh it showed up okay cool (laughs) let's see here Goodyear CEO says more workers than expected retired during the illness, adding to labor challenges. Uh, Goodyear experienced a larger than anticipated number of retirements among its U.S. workforce during the uh, the illness. CEO Rich Kramer told CNBC Monday, the Ohio-based tire maker has had to accelerate hiring to help overcome the departures. Uh, as uh, Kramer said on Mad Money, we have a lot of training going on, and of course, those uh, make our factories a little, a bit less efficient and had a little bit higher cost. Yeah, so I mean, the, the crunch is there, right? So all of a sudden, uh, you know, you get tire prices that that go up a little bit higher. Uh, makes every you know everything rolls on the tire <laughs> like literally uh and that just creates more of a problem but i i i think um i think maybe you know that that go speaks to what we've been talking about here where you know part of the labor challenges that have been through the country uh, and and through the world frankly um is is in part not just because people quit their jobs or got fired and then found new jobs where they didn't have to go back but you know people are like i ain't dealing with this i ain't going through this i ain't wearing a mask all day long i i could retire you know i was supposed to retire in a year and a half from now you know what i'm just going to retire now and and get out and bounce out and uh and and it takes time for uh, as I said yesterday in a video, you know the the younger generation to get old enough to be able to start to fill some of those roles. Um, so you you know you have uh, you know the 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 fifteen the fourteen fifteen sixteen year olds like seven become seventeen eighteen nineteen year olds and and be able to move into those uh, those entry level positions, but also as well as the uh the higher end positions and and if you can retain which is why i think it's so important that you know you're not just out there um retaining or, or uh attracting new customer new employees with uh hey we got uh 15 an hour hey we're gonna pay your tuition we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that you get all these benefits blah blah blah, blah. like you have to be able to give to the people that you have so that you can keep those people so that you're not spending and wasting time and money and energy training new people, especially in specialized fields. Uh, a great example of that is Lewis Rossman. I've mentioned him here. He uh, super champion for uh, repair, right to repair uh, here on YouTube. And, uh, you know, he, he talked about like during the pandemic, his shop, his repair shop up in New York city suffered greatly. They did not have many people coming through the shop and, uh, he, he kept, but he held on to his employees because he knew getting, uh, you know, highly trained, uh, employees to repair electronics is not easy and it's not easy to train them going forward. So, you know, there was days where they just stood out in the street and threw a football around because they had no work and everything, you know, was just fine. But he wanted to make sure that he held on to the people because if they left, there was no guarantee they were coming back. And, uh, and I, it's just another, this is just another, um, 
you know, lesson to small business owners that like, you know, if it takes that much training to get your people in, uh, maybe you need to look at what can we do to refine that process, make it so they don't have to be, you know, a a one year, two year, three year veteran to really understand what they're doing. Their, their piece of the, you know, the, the whole pie. So, uh, you know, refining your, your processes, getting those down so you can increase your efficiency and reduce time getting new people plugged in uh, if and when the time comes for that. More, uh, <clears throat> more than $10 billion wiped from Peloton's market cap since dismal earnings report. Roughly $10.4 billion has been wiped from the Peloton's market cap since last Thursday as investors raise fresh doubts about the connected fitness company's future growth prospects. Shares, <coughs> shares closed Monday down 7.9%, extending losses from, from the prior week. Peloton's market cap stands around $15.4 billion after starting the year roughly $45 billion. Look, big, big lesson here, right? Uh, Peloton was always going to face an uphill battle uh, in the sense that people buy workout equipment and people use them as, you know, as uh, clothes, you know, clothes uh, hangers or, you know, hanger, they hang their clothes on them or they lay, you know, or they, they let them sit there and gather dust in the corner. Uh, I mean, heck, I, I have a one literally right behind me is a uh, not a Peloton, but a, a an elliptical. And I, the only time I use it, if it's raining outside or if it's cold, because I can't go for a run, which I'd rather go outside and go for a run. So I'm not watching uh, you know, another screen while I'm doing something. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's really important to just recognize that uh, membership-based anything is really hard to get people in. It's really hard to retain people. Uh, attrition rate is is very difficult to uh, to overcome. And I think when the benefit is now people are able to go outside, people are able to go to the gym that want to go to the gym, people can go and be among other people, uh, nine times out of ten, the thing that's going to get squeezed out is – uh, is is the the working out and and that's which is it's a shame because we all we all I mean I strive to, to work out better and more myself and and it's t- there's such a time constraint there but um but yeah it, it it just makes you think like I don't I don't think that it's part of a tech bubble I think that it's just a, a sign of the waves right we look at the gyms right at the beginning of January it's all about getting in the gym and getting those memberships and signing people up and then uh you know there there it goes from uh you know people go from being in there to not being in there and and it be it's basically being empty by like week two three four or february i guess uh when it was super busy uh yeah (laughs) apparently breaking news just came through uh tim cook says he owns Tim Cook says he owns cryptocurrency and he's been interested in a in it for a while. Uh, said he personally owns cryptocurrency uh, Tuesday at the Deal Book conference. Cook said that he is uh, that he had been interested in cryptocurrency quote for a while and that he has been researching the topic. Cook said that his interest was from a quote personal point of view and dismissed suggestions that Apple might take cryptocurrency in exchange for products as tender or buy it with corporate funds. Uh, pretty cool to see that uh, you know Tim Cook has cryptocurrency. I don't. It didn't say which cryptocurrency, but apparently it was breaking news that came right through at the top of the website. So uh, we'll see how how the cryptocurrency markets fare uh, now that this is a thing. I mean, it very well could add. Uh, you know, uh, Apple at very well could add it at some point. Uh, maybe when it, things become maybe a little more stable than than uh, the uh, ups and down, you know, uh, valleys and and peaks of current cryptocurrency uh, bonanzas that are out there. The Bank of England says cutting carbon could push up prices. Well, that's not really that surprising. 
uh, as these you know non carbon based products or companies uh, that produce things uh, it, it requires a lot sometimes more energy in different ways in order to produce certain types of products. Uh, Let's see. But in fact, there is a connection between those two worlds, says Governor Bailey himself in an interview with me. The government, uh, the governor says that the transition to net zero could, quote, uh, could lead to permanent level uh, price effects. Uh, understand and de- uh, that they will have to understand and deal with. And indeed, we went. For, uh, he went further, saying, "I think we are already seeing some effects from climate change on prices now. A bit of the gas price story, uh, a reference to the four hundred percent increase in prices over the past year, is the result of the world at the same time shunning coal and chasing the same scarce natural gas supplies." As we substitute out uh, more, uh, as we substitute out more of more damaging hydrocarbons, uh, coal obviously being a case in point during the transition, we will probably see increased demand for other uh, hydrocarbons, gas. Given that, uh, given that many political voices have tiptoed around the uh, the issue that the climate change transition being discussed in Glasgow uh, is likely to have an impact on consumers, this would appear a significant statement of the reality. I mean, look, I uh, I've I've come to to battle with this uh, with some people that I know and. Uh, while I am for getting to a net, you know, net carbon, um, car, uh, yeah, net carbon neutral situation, uh, yeah, I think it's important that we also recognize that the technology and the build out for that is just not there yet. And I, I wish we had started back in the seventies when we could have uh, really been a lot further along in the process than we are now. We are definitely behind the eight ball. Uh, but I do feel that we can get there. I just, in the meantime, don't know that we should, uh, you know, cut cut our, you know, cut everything off all at once when we are woefully unprepared to be able to do so. And uh, I want to see, I want to see more steps taken uh, to to actually, re- you know, start to see reversal or at least a plateau of the uh the earth and the the climate change that we're experiencing and uh and hopefully we can get there sooner than in some cases of countries talking about like 2050 or 2070 uh but i just feel like we to be able to slam you know slam on the brakes right now uh is going to be a huge pain for everybody instead of a gradual uh come down to to at least plateau and then come down from there uh, would be would be phenomenal, and hopefully over the next, I don't know, three years, five years, we can we can start to actually make some real progress here uh, for the world, not just on the U.S. side, because uh, I know that there's you know some data out there that suggests well the U.S. has come down and this and that, and it's up to the other countries to do it, but the other countries don't necessarily have the means to do it. Uh, so I, I think that it, it really comes um, – there's a really good Kirk Kazar video, uh, which maybe I'll link over here. I think I've linked it before uh, explaining what we can do uh, to to help prevent uh, you know climate change to a um, de- devastating level, which we – I mean we're already on the cusp of, but – uh, you know, whole, like hitting the brakes uh, on on the whole world all at once is not necessarily uh, good for for humanity either. So uh, we'll continue to 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 follow this. How will the U.S. deal with a shortage of 80,000 truckers? This is a, a BBC article from the outside looking in. Uh, they are tra- uh, let's see. They're training a new generation of lorry drivers. I, I actually had to uh, stop and think about what that was. 
uh, that, that's just another word for, for truck drivers, to help fill the gaps in a nationwide driver shortage, a situation that is adding to the country's supply chain problems. The shortage of drivers is not new, but an increase in freight demand as the U.S. economy reopened after lockdowns, waves of baby boomer retirements, and the pandemic uh, have made it worse. The American Trucking Association's uh, estimates that the U.S. is short 80,000 truckers, an all-time high for the industry. And if nothing changes, the shortfall could reach 160,000 over the next decade. Uh, a lack, the lack of drivers has made it hard to get products from ports to, shell, to shop shelves and is driving up prices for a wide variety of products ahead of the winter holidays. So, yeah, there's a, the, the shortage of drivers. I mean, look, I, I, I grew up in the trucking industry. Uh, I still have uh, family and businesses in the trucking industry. Trucking is definitely not uh, easy. Uh, it's not necessarily um, a quote-unquote great or traditional lifestyle for uh, drivers. And having those cross-country drivers uh, is is getting increasingly hard to find because most drivers want to be home at the end of the night. Um and that creates a, a problem when you're trying to find people to be able to do so. So, I mean, to me, I think I see the answer as you know, for the long for the long uh, the long haul drivers, uh, we you know we got to get better at this whole autonomous driving thing. Uh, I, I think that we are absolutely. Uh, going to be in need of it and and this article goes to show like hey if this doesn't change we're going to continue to have shortages it's not going to be uh, great now the one thing that trucking does provide is a great income for people who might not necessarily want to go and do other things you know be on their feet all day working for uh, an amazon or doing uh, you know if they're if they're not willing to say take uh, uh, an education path or something that's in a quote-unquote traditional sense, uh, a desk job or or something like that. Um, It offers an opportunity for a great income, um, but it does come with some downsides. And, you know, some of the downsides is sitting all day is not really healthy for you either, right? So we we need to think about how we're going to to correct that problem. Um, And I think one of the, the Unfortunately, uh, the biggest, the easiest, best way, and easy is very much understated here, uh, is a is a self driving uh, truck that enables people to, you know, look. And if you talk to people in the trucking industry, one of the other big problems that will come up and they'll bring up is the uh, is all the regulations that have that they have been um, torqued onto the the trucking industry over the last. 10 20 years um you know log books are now digitized you can't you know you can only drive so many hours and it really cuts into uh, how much money per load that people can make it's i don't want to say that regulations all the problems because that kind of is finger pointing but it definitely is not helping the situation of trying to find um people to invest their lives into uh, a career in in trucking so definitely, um, hopefully, and I'm not saying that we should cut back on the regulations necessarily, but maybe it's time to you know relook at those regulations and see what we can do to better them uh, and maybe save the trucking, the trucker uh, career industry instead of just um, basically putting it out to pasture when it wants self-driving trucks become a thing. Uh, or there's actually another technology out there where – you know, with 5G technology, there the latency on the on the between a truck and say somebody sitting behind a desk uh, in a cubicle somewhere driving said truck uh, from that cubicle is actually something that could be a reality. So that maybe you have autonomous driving for the highway, and then once you once it gets off the highway, you actually have a driver that's just sitting behind uh, a cute you know a desk computer in, in a terminal. Uh, and and doing it that way. I know that they've been testing it uh, over the last year or two, and I think in 
I want to say Florida, but it might have been Arizona. Uh, so there, there are tests like that going on, and I think that that's a potential opportunity. But you got to have really good five G connection everywhere, uh, and and you know obviously fail safes in place uh, just in case that driver is not able you know to connect for some reason because technology is not perfect. Tech. We I had a Comcast outage here today, and apparently it was a nationwide outage uh, starting back to yesterday like last night on the west coast so anything is possible uh to to break you know anything it can will break and uh i think we are on our way to pushing that future in the trucking industry faster and faster uh yeah no uh i'm i can open up the floor uh mariam to uh, to people to join in after I'm done. Right now, I'm recording for the podcast, the Super Joe Pardo Show, over at superjoepardo.com, as well as the YouTube videos uh, that we uh, that we have. I have on the Super Joe Pardo channel over at YouTube.com/slash/SuperJoePardo. So yeah, after that, after I get done recording, I'm I'm willing to open up the floor. I just have a couple more articles here to get through. The hitting costs of buy now, pay later loans. While many shoppers rave about the ease of interest-free loan apps, some say they have been hit with surprise fees and a long slog of recoup uh, to recoup money from refunded merchandise. Uh, so, I mean, it's a long article. I'll link it down below. But uh, basically, because uh, we see it all the time with. Uh, uh, what's those services called? There was a, they listed them here in the article. Uh, oh, here you go. Affirm, Zip, Sizzle, like Sizzle, uh, Afterpay, and Clarna. Uh, I think Affirm is what I've seen the most of, and uh, apparently there there's a lot of like hidden terms and conditions and things like that where people end up being hit with fees. On there, oh, you just buy it and uh, you can uh, pay, you know, pay in payments, right? Like a payment plan, and and people, you know, have responded positively uh, to those. In fact, so much so that a lot of the websites that we go to here on the Super Joe Pardo Show uh, seem to be integrating at least uh, a firm. I've seen a lot into the website, so you can click on them and and do the buy now pay later and i know paypal offers it as well but uh but it there's just so much going um there's so much of it going on let's see the there's a bunch of people that just are are having having issues and uh if you want to get more in depth i i will link this uh this article in the in the description below So, eminent domain, can small business owners beat the government? Uh, as, if you haven't heard of eminent domain, it's the ability for the government to take, um, to basically seize land uh, from you in a, uh, for a price that is, uh, I guess, market rate. But the thing is, is you, you kind of have to take it. So, uh, it, it, I, and I know, actually know a couple of people that have lost their, uh, their businesses because once they moved or once they sold, they weren't able to find a new place that made sense for their specific business. Uh, you know, it's easier to find a uh, uh, like a retail, like commercial shop or something like that, you know, retail space. But when you talk about like in the trucking industry with repair, you know, where you're repairing or selling uh, and, and you got to find a place that is accessible for, you know, easy, ease of access plus ease of getting in and out of um, is it can be very difficult. So. Uh, simply put, eminent domain is the right of a government to require uh, the compulsory sale or, in extreme cases, exproportionation expro, expro, I don't know if I said that right of land by a property owner so public officials can put private property 
to public use. It's supposed to be for the common good. It's used so governments can build roads or expand its services to a community. But in many cases, individual property owners and the business owners are forced out of their locations, which can cause irreparable harm. In Pennsylvania, for example, the owner of a diner for for more than 35 years is now facing extinction as the state plans to build a highway through his property. I told them I'm begging to let them uh, to let me keep what I have," says uh, Bill Katsifis. I'm not sure. I'm sorry, Bill, for busting your name. Uh, in neighboring New Jersey, my my uh, my home state here, uh, a borough plans to use eminent domain to punt a, lo- a popular local pizzeria in order to make room for a future supermarket chain. The pizza owner, as you can imagine, is not happy. I'm confused how they would make the corner eminent domain. That's what we were trying to understand. We're part of the community. They can't just throw us out in the street. And sometimes it's not even being forced to move. That's the problem. A third-generation Mexican restaurant in San Antonio, Texas, is facing months of sewage smells and potential spills right outside their eatery as a local water utility plans to put a sewage pump station in front of it. It will just drive people away from the stench of it. Uh, who said? Who is uh, the owner is contesting the project? How come he, the sewage company's chief executive, didn't choose McDonald's? It's too strong of a company. I'm a small man. End quote. So. Uh, this this article goes in, let's see, so what to do. The answer is to be proactive, not reactive. I've found that eminent domain claims by the government usually don't com- uh, come completely out of the blue. There is oftentimes some advance warning uh, and time allowed to make alternative plans. Many of the clients I have, uh, I have who have faced this situation have also known about the uh, risk for quite some time. You might fight if you've got the resources, but in the majority of the cases, the government will win. So at best, putting up a fight can buy more time. But in the end, if you believe your business is at risk of this, you've got to be ready. You must have a plan. You have to give yourself time to adapt and you must be prepared to make a change now that goes for not just eminent domain but also like when the illness hit right like we we all had to pivot we all had to figure out like what's our next step and there's plenty of success stories there's also stories of people being stuck because they pivoted maybe too hard into a specific niche or niche uh where they aren't able to uh pivot out of that now that we're coming into a pre-post pandemic uh, situation where you know people's uh, buying habits and things have changed. Supplies, you know, supply chains is now uh, more more constrained, and it creates a creates a real problem for a lot of those uh, those businesses. So, uh, I think that the the real lesson here is just you know always 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 be prepared. And of course, I'll link this article down below. In the supply chain battle of 2021, small businesses are losing out to Walmart and Amazon. Toy shop Kim Mitchell placed her holiday orders months ago, but she had no idea that it would make it to uh, if or she, uh, but has no idea what will make it to her store on time. Anything from Mattel or Hasbro has largely been off the table as are Raven's Burger puzzles. The Lego sets that used to arrive on a pallet are coming in dribs and drabs. Five boxes one day to the next. It's very unpredictable. I don't know what I'm going, uh, what I'm getting or when. Small retailers and manufacturers already crushed by large national brands during the pa- uh, pandemic are being disproportionately walloped by delays, shortages, and other supply chain disruptions ahead of the holidays. In many cases, they're losing out to giants like Walmart and Amazon, which are spending millions to charter their own ships and planes to move merchandise. Independent shop owners who have no such resource say they're often the last in line. Now, this, this article is kind of long, so I'll link it down below. But uh, this is part of the problem, you know, uh, where we have these big box retailers that are going to get the majority of the share because they are spending millions of dollars versus the independents, small businesses that are not, uh, you know, they're not doing it. So they're not they're not spending millions of dollars. 
so it makes it kind of tough and i feel really bad for those uh those business owners that are just they're just being able to get by uh with what they're able to get and hopefully uh able to just weather the storm till they till we get to you know hopefully they can get to next year and hopefully things will continue to to uh start to get or start to get better uh, as a whole for everybody uh in the supply chain uh you know industry or well i guess it's an industry well anyway i i'm really uh it 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 really stinks that these uh these businesses are are not or they're gonna have end up end up having bare shares i mean even at some of the bigger stores like rite aid i've gone into like they literally just have vinyl banners covering shelves uh they took they took all the the shelves off and they just like covered it in in a vinyl banner talk you know saying hey rite aid we have this and that but not the products that were there, you know, just a couple of months ago. So it's uh, it's definitely being felt by them as well. And I'm sure if you talked to the Amazons and WalMarts, they are probably not very happy with what they're getting uh, either. They're I, just not not good, not good. Kevin O'Leary sees this resume red flag and simply puts it into the garbage. Uh, I'll link the article below, but the the, uh, the the crux of it is is if an applicant's resume shows them holding multiple jobs over the past two years, I simply quote put it into the garbage because we're not going to look at that person. Companies don't like it because they invest in you, he says, naming financial uh, commitments that range from the onboarding and training process to sending equipment to remote workers. Quote, if you're going to leave them after a few months, that's a total waste of money. So if, uh, yeah, if you're, so if it shows them holding multiple jobs over the past two years, so as in you didn't stick around, uh, then you are not going to be one of his uh, his key people that he wants to hire. Uh, definitely understandable, uh, but I think that this is maybe a little mistimed in the sense that uh, I know quite a few people that in the last two years, because that's when you know the illness happened, uh, have held multiple jobs over the last two years and then gotten fired from those jobs uh, or laid off, I should say, from those jobs. Uh, I think this is kind of ill-timed uh, and does make me wonder uh, if maybe you should just only put one of the jobs at that point on your resume, but I, I, I don't know. I think it's uh, very... I, th- I think because of the the situation that we've all been through the last two years, it's very short sighted uh, for the here and the now. Pre you know pre illness, yeah, I could see that. I, I could I could see wanting to to dump that you know resume if they they're jumping jobs all the time, but not right now. Not not like this. Want to sound more confident? Avoid these 11 words and phrases. Now, this caught my eye because I wanted to know, do I say these phrases? And I think in a couple of cases, I might actually do say uh, once in a while. So we'll just run through what it says and then what uh, you should say. So number one, does that make sense? Uh, I definitely say that often. (laughs) Uh, What you should say instead is, what are your thoughts? Or I'd like your input on this. And... Uh, I, I think that, that I do try to use those two terms quite a bit. Um, but it also, it depends if I'm trying to explain something versus coming up with a solution for something. Number two, maybe you should try, uh, instead say, let's try, or it's a good idea to try. Yeah, I, I, I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely could see the, the let's try, I feel, um, is almost too almost borderlines on author, uh, authoritarian. Can't say that word very well right now, uh, but because it's just like, hey, we're gonna let's try this instead. Uh, instead of you know, let, I, I, I like that it's a good idea to try. Uh, but at the same, uh, you know what? On the same token, though, it's a good idea to try. I, I, it brings me back to the Walt Disney quote, like. 
I have a good idea. Well, it's like, no, you have an idea. I will tell you if it's a good idea. Um, so something to think about there. Uh, number th- three, <clears throat> I think this would. What the saying said, I believe this would. Uh, this is a minor distinction, but a valid one. I think sounds weaker than I believe, and is a uh, and is a little more doubtful. As if you're saying uh, something might work, but you're not sure. I I guess I guess that's okay. <laughs> I'm not not a big fan of that fan of that one. Uh, number four, I'm not positive, but or I'm not sure, but. And say this instead. So whatever you were going to say after the but. Yeah, so don't preposition the uh, the statement with I'm not sure or I'm not positive. Number five, uh, I just wanted to touch base. And instead say I wanted to touch base. The word just uh, is just not great <laughs> to say, you know, it, it really is not, um, it's a word that I've been working on trying to remove from my, my vocabulary and from emails and things of that nature, uh, trying to just remove, just remove that word, uh, because it doesn't, it doesn't add to the conversation. Um, it, and it sounds a lot less, sure of yourself so i i would definitely agree with that one number six needless to say you want to say what you want to know what to say say nothing <laughs> say nothing instead uh, number seven in my opinion just say nothing just get to what you're gonna say number eight for what it's worth say nothing uh number nine sorry instead say excuse me uh, I I like that. Uh, I, I say excuse me a lot. A lot of times it comes as excuse. I don't know if that's the uh, the accent or not, but uh, it it definitely is better because sorry. I think it's just such an overused word. And yeah, and uh, the word sorry was used to mean wretched or worthless back in the 13th century. Number 10, X was developed to increase X. Instead, say, I developed X to increase X. So instead of saying that it was developed, I guess, owning the fact that you're the one that developed it uh, and why or and what its, you know, what its purpose was for. Number 11, if you know what I mean, uh, just say nothing. <laughs> that's that's be- that's better than than that. So, yeah, I, there's a lot of those words, and and the one I I always you know used to go on was just like oh was, I'm just checking in. No, I'm checking in. You know, cut right to to what you're doing and be more confident about it. And it will uh, it definitely seems to make a, a difference when people res- how people respond to to that. Finally today, CEO secrets, company culture shouldn't be too nice. Uh, you can't, quote, can't, you can't be too nice, she says. You will, uh, you have to allow people to challenge you. The social element is an agency which helps corporations connect with consumers on social media. Quote, what we provide is partly marketing, partly public relations, and partly customer care, says Tamara. Uh, that's Tamara Littleton, by the way. That's her company, The Social Element. She founded the firm in 2003 when social media was in its infancy. Now it operates across the world, has an annual turnover of 9.2 million pounds a year, and represents brands such as Oreo, Peloton, HSBC, and Nissan. Tamara Ciders. Uh, Citers the positive working culture at the social element as one of the reasons for its success. I quote, wanted to be able to bring their best work uh, self to work. It's very collaborative. It's very agile. It's very high on communication as well. And it's created this sort of family culture. It helped keep staff in the company. That is a ding ding moment there because keeping company you know, keeping keeping staff over the years is is super helpful. Even though sometimes that can be a downfall, but uh, if you keep your culture strong, then you won't have a problem that you know because you're you're adopting people into a culture of change. Because you know the only constant in this world is change. 
so she said, quote, I felt like starting up an office in Australia would be great next move for us. Quote, we would be able to capture the Australian market and use it as a hub into Asia as well. Essentially, it w- uh, I went with my gut. I'm quite an optimistic person, and I just wanted to go for it. Everyone in the executive team went along with the idea. However, after months, Tamara... Uh, or Tamara, maybe it's Tamara, had uh, to abandon Sydney as a base and write off the scheme as a failure. Australian companies we brought on board were focused very much on the Australian market itself, and it wasn't the springboard into Asia that we'd been hoping for. In retrospect, we should have gone to Hong Kong or Singapore. You know, that's... um, Let me speak to that for a second. That... uh, I know. I think it was Starbucks that ran into this problem as well, where Australia kind of rejected it because it didn't. It 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 brought its own culture, and Australia really has its own culture. I have quite a few friends that that are from and live in Australia, and it's it's very much of its own uh, of its own thing. Uh, you know, I I don't think uh, I wish I wish uh, Tamara or Tamara uh, would have would have maybe. I don't know. I don't know who she talked to, but it probably would have been a good idea to talk to somebody who could have given some better insight uh, into that uh, that that issue that um, or the difference with Australia. Now, with that said, uh, this was in 2014. So that in 2014, I don't think um, I don't think I don't think Starbucks had had gone out of business there yet. So. To prove that point, but uh, but I think that uh, you know positive culture I think is so so important. Being able to keep your employees on longer uh, for a longer period of time. I know when we have Pardo Truck Service Parts Warehouse, uh, we our average employment. I mean, there was people that had worked there as long as I had been alive uh, for a while, like twenty plus years in the company, uh, which ultimately was a was a bit of a, you know hard. When things changed in the company, like when my dad took over from my grandfather, when I came up and started to implement um, inventory management, you know, uh, protocols and processes and integrate more technology into the company, you know, things, you know, things were changing rapidly uh, in the early 2000s. And it just uh, it, it kind of created a a monster to have people who really wanted to hold on to what the way things were. Um, but I, I think that I still think that goes back to the culture uh, and, and keeping a culture of change going forward and, and enabling people to, uh, you know, finding, enabling the company to be able to find people that are comfortable with change so that as you go forward and things evolve, they are not stuck and uh, creating a negative culture for the rest of the people who are comfortable with that change. And that will wrap up the entrepreneurs for today. Uh, let me see if I can get my camera on. No, I still can't get my camera on here. So, uh, you know, you can join me over on joinentra.com every Monday through Thursday, right as of right now, uh, for the entrepreneurs, uh, where we we break down all of these stories. And uh, over at youtube.com slash superjoepardo, about to hit 2,500 subscribers if we haven't already. It's been a little while since I've looked at the counter over there. Uh, but yeah, it's it's been so much fun. Again, tomorrow, look for the interview with uh, the Magic 5 uh, that was on Shark Tank uh, this season, I think like an ep- last episode or two episodes ago. Uh, it was really great to, I think it was two episodes ago, got to have a great interview with, uh, with him and, uh, that'll be out tomorrow. So, uh, till then I will talk to you all tomorrow. Have a great day. Take care.